Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26 as we come to the last week of our walk through the book of Acts. Obviously, we're not walking through every chapter, but we are hitting some highlights as we are looking at the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of the early church. We've got a couple pictures I want you to take a look at here. First of all, the first picture that we see is a set of, of very particular shoes. This is a set of actual ruby slippers designed by Harry Winston, and they are valued at $3 million. They're actual ruby slippers. The next one, look at this. It's an Hermes, I think I'm saying that right, Hermes handbag, crocodile skin, as well as uh, diamond encrusted, $1.9 million. And then finally, look at this one. This is a dog collar by Amour that is worth $3.2 million. Expensive items, right? Really, really expensive items. I love this quote by H. Jackson Brown Jr. that says, Nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. Nothing is more expensive than a missed opportunity. And see, that thought is what brings us to the title of today's message, So Close, Yet So Far Away. You see, Paul stands today in our passage today before Festus, the proconsul or the governor of Judea, the Roman governor of Judea, and then Herod Agrippa, the king of the people of the Jews. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. But if you remember last week, we were in Acts chapter 24, and Paul uh, had gone to the temple. He had boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus as the Son of God and the only hope for salvation. And as you can imagine, he had stirred up and started a riot, and if it were not for the intervening of the Roman authorities, he would have probably been pulled limb from limb. I mean, it was a, just a riot of epic proportions. So the Roman authorities got the crowd settled down. Uh, he convinced them somehow to go out again before the crowd, and Paul, as he did, gave a great testimony of what we might call his story and God's story. His testimony of his changed life, as you remember, if you've been following us and walking through the book of Acts with us, Paul, also known as Saul, was one of the most notorious persecutors of Christians. He was one that had some of the greatest training uh, a, a Jewish young man could have. He was on the fast track to kind of stardom in that culture, and he was one that would go throughout the land persecuting, bringing in chains, part of this new way. It was known as the way at the time, capital W, because it were, there were ones that were following the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was the early fledgling church as we know it. So as we, he gave account last week, he spoke of his Damascus Road conversion as he was on the road to Damascus. Uh, on his way to lead more Christians in change to the authorities. He was knocked off his horse by the glory of Jesus Christ. He was blinded temporarily. And at that moment, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a born again, born anew, born from above Christian. And from that point on, he became not only the greatest, he turned from the greatest persecutor of the Christian church to the greatest proponent. He was its greatest ambassador. And so he's giving this story of, of the account of his life, his story, if you will, and then he's also in the midst of it giving God's story. What do we mean by his story and God's story? Well, as it relates to just any believer in Jesus Christ, our story is our testimony of how we were led to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God's story is the gospel story, the story of the good news. Remember, we try to talk about it each and every week, but the story of the good news, the gospel, is that each and every person is separated from God because of their sin. It starts with really bad news. Every person, man, woman, and child, who's walked the face of this earth, separated from God because of their sin. Not because God is mean or he's some sort of a tyrant. It's because he is holy, perfect, and pure. However, because of his love for us, he provided a way for us that we might be forgiven and brought back together with him. You see, there's nothing that we could do to earn that salvation, to earn that forgiveness. There's no way that we could live our life in, in, a, in a good enough way that our good works would outbalance our bad because we need perfection, righteousness. So God in his love provided that way, and that way was through his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son to this earth that he might live a sinless and perfect life and ultimately to die for, for us on the cross to take our place. So that through him, if we place our faith in him, we accept that free gift of salvation. If we believe in our heart, uh, the book of Romans tells us, if we believe in our heart uh, that Jesus is Lord and we we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so Paul went throughout all the known world at the time preaching this good news, telling his story of how he was converted and telling ultimately God's story. So he stands before this crowd again. And of course, at the moment, he says, not only God was sending me to, the, to you, but he was sending me to Gentiles, to all the known world at the time. The crowd had enough. They, they erupted again. So he was taken away by the authorities again, taken to Festus, had, uh, had a meeting with Festus, had audience with Festus, who was the proconsul, the Roman governor of Judea at the time. And then Festus ultimately took him to Agrippa, which we see today. So Agrippa was the king of the Jews at the time, but as we know, he was more of a puppet king because uh, it was, Rome was really ruling the world at this time, and it was their practice to allow native kings to rule their native people as long as they kind of towed the Roman line, as long as they kept the, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, as long as they promoted uh, Roman ideals and Roman advances. They were allowed to rule their own people, but we also have in this scene Festus, who was the governor. He was the man that may have taken a purposeful back seat. He was the man with the real authority. Either way, Paul is standing before two very important people here. So Paul again begins to share with Festus and Agrippa his story of his testimony of his conversion and God's story, the good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And he, he goes through it, he's telling God's story of how Jesus came to this world to die for our sins, uh, that if we place our faith and trust in him, we too might be forgiven and saved and cleansed and made new, made whole. And he said, and guess what, it, the story doesn't end there. The story ends, the story kind of comes to its culmination with the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And Festus, of course, being a good Roman who saw the body as as an empty shell and no more. Why in the world would any sort of deity give place to that? It was the soul that mattered. He said, that's enough. That's enough. Your learning has made you mad. You see, that's what brings us to chapter 26, verse 24 today. Now, as Paul made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. 
For the king before whom I also speaks freely, he's speaking of King Agrippa, he knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. It wasn't done in secret. He's speaking, of course, of the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, proving he was exactly who he said he was. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets, Paul says? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Do you hear the troubling, the sad words, the difficult words that Agrippa utters there? You almost persuade me to become a Christian. So close, yet so far away. Lord God, as we walk through your word today, I pray for those that are here today that have maybe had so many near misses. They have had many opportunities where your Holy Spirit has spoken to them about their separation from you, the separation from you that all of us, all of humanity shares. And Lord, that you have sought them through your Holy Spirit. You have been seeking them And you have been reaching out to them. Lord God, I pray that this would be the day. This would be the day that their their heart of stone would begin to crumble. Lord, the heart of ice would begin to thaw. And that this would be the day. That it's no longer for them a a story of so close yet so far away. But this would be the day that they yield their lives unto your son Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. You know, so we ask ourselves the story, the question here, when we think about this, uh, this great narrative of the book of Acts, Paul stands before these two great leaders. Paul gives an impassioned testimony of his own conversion. Paul gives an impassioned uh, telling of the story of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the sad words are uttered from the mouth of Agrippa, you almost persuade me. You know, we can think of many people in our lives now, maybe throughout the course of the history of our life, where there would be some that it might not be this dramatic of a setting, but some in our lives that we would say, you know what, just like Agrippa, they heard the testimony of the gospel, maybe from my own lips, maybe from the lips of a pastor, they might say, maybe through a, through a great testimony of a video or a story, something, and you, knew, you know the spiritual wheels were turning. Yet at the end of the day, the story was so close, yet so far away. So we think about ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who are in this room today that are believers in Jesus Christ. We've given our life to Jesus. We've come to that place of repentance and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And in his own words, he says, the change is so great and so grand that he can describe it with nothing else but being born again. You are, it's like you've been born again, born from anew. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. Those of us in this room who have that as our testimony we are also called to be the primary ambassadors of this great story of God, this great story of our own testimony. So how can we make sure that those close to us do not miss, as Agrippa did, do not miss life's greatest opportunity? How can we do our part as obedient servants of God and ambassadors of the gospel? How can we make sure that we do our part to see that those close to us, they don't miss 
life's greatest opportunity. The first thing that we see from Paul here is that he was confident in the midst of scrutiny. Let's read verses 24 through 26 again. Now as Paul made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. Remember we said what really triggered it was in fact the resurrection. The idea that there is this Jesus Christ who would return again, his second coming, and he would raise those from the dead. Now obviously even in our culture, and he, it, it sounds fantastic. But in Roman culture, it was again the idea of the whole, the whole idea of raising a body from the dead wasn't that it just seemed fantastic. It's like, why would you do it? They're dirty shells for the soul. But we know that God makes no mistakes, even with the human body. God is a perfect God who makes all things good. But this was the trigger point for Festus. But whoever it may be that we're sharing the good news of the gospel with, maybe it be a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, even a family member, for, for those that are really struggling and are almost, as you would call it, kind of in the death pangs of their former life, really the wheels, the spiritual wheels are turning there, and they're having such a hard time holding on to their old life. They know there's something there. They know that there's something to this story of Jesus Christ, but they're wanting to just hold on. You never know what it may be, how it may manifest itself. You know, for many, the issue is hypocrisy of the local church. And folks, we're going to come back, Christians, believers in Jesus in this room, we're going to come back in just a second to our responsibility in this. But let me tell you, if you're in the room today, and the hypocrisy of the local church is something that has been a roadblock that has been standing in the way of you committing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, I understand the legitimacy of that. And as I said, in just a few moments, we're going to speak, kind of almost have an in-house little talk here, a family talk, and talk about hypocrisy. But even so... When you stand one day before the Lord Jesus Christ, even hypocrisy is not a good enough reason to reject the Lord Jesus and his love extended to you. You know, I love the meme that's out there on the internet that says, you know, not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of out of shape people. Now, you know, it's kind of funny, kind of a funny quip, and really kind of half of it applies to this, half of it doesn't. But really the point is, When we think about us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to do all that we can to remove any possible roadblocks from a person that that may not even walk into our church building, but may be associated with the church as a body and make sure that we're evaluating ourselves. How are we living? Are we living like the Lord Jesus Christ would live? Yes, we know we're growing. Just as the illustration there of people that go to a gym because they're out of shape, they're trying to grow in their relationship, they're trying to become more physically healthy. We are to be growing together, becoming more spiritually healthy. Now let me be honest with you. Some of you, many of you, just like any local church, some of you may have been attending church, maybe even this church for a number of years. You may have been attending this church for a number of decades But if, as Jesus said, you're not bearing fruit of righteousness, you're not living a Christ-like life, and it hasn't been happening for quite some time, let me tell you, as your pastor who loves and cares for you, you need to really prayerfully, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, examine yourself and say, you know what? Am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? You see, for church attender and non-alike that are here today, being a Christian is not about attending church. It's not about doing those things. We attend church because we are a Christian, out of gratitude and the brotherhood and sisterhood of a local fellowship like this. 
But a Christian, a little Christ, that's what it means, a follower of Christ is a person who has come to the place in their life where they said, I am turning away from my old life of sin and I'm turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I am turning my life over to him as my Savior and my Lord. And again, as the book of Romans says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. So again, for some of you who are here today, that you know the biggest roadblock in the life for, of those that, that, that you may have association with, that are really struggling with whether or not they are to be ones that would commit their life to Jesus Christ. Could it be if you're struggling over the course of years and decades with fruitlessness in life? Could it be, again, as your pastor who loves and cares about you, something that you need to come and you need to examine on your knees before the Lord? Have I ever really come to that place where I've committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I changed? Have I been born again, as Jesus said? Or maybe I've just been attending church for years. But for those of us that are here that are true believers, that we've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is still a matter of personal responsibility that we are to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, here's the wonderful thing about it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you've been born anew, as the Bible says, you are not doing this on your own. It is not a matter of trying to just figure out and work as hard as you can to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's personal responsibility, but it is always, it is a guarantee of 100% return. We are to spend time with the Lord. We spend time with him in his word. We spend time with him in conversation and prayer. And as we do, it is a 100% guarantee on return that we will grow in Christ-likeness. So first part of being confident in scrutiny is the fact that we do need to think about what is it, those that I have influence over, what is it that may be a roadblock to them? But also we have to remember, even when there are issues out there that we face, if we're sharing our faith, we're opening up spiritual conversations. We're asking for people to, can we pray for people? We know there are going to be some roadblocks that Paul, even those Paul stands confident in, not because of his own learning, not because of his own ideas, but because of truth and reason. Look there in verse 25, he says, But I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak to you words of truth and reason. You see, when we seek to share our faith or we seek to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, we know that we ultimately don't go in the, the eloquence of our own words, our own thoughts, our own ideas, but we go in the truth of the word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and to of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, God tells us there, That his word isn't just kind of clever thoughts in a book. It's not just um, wise sayings, although it is definitely that. But there's something living about it. There is something powerful about it. More so, it's like the, the total is greater than the sum of the parts because it is the words of God. And it is a living, breathing powerful organism if you will of spiritual greatness so he goes in the truth of God's word you see it's always important when we want to share our faith to not just give our story although that's very important because it puts it sort of in the context of which you're speaking but you must always tell God's story and tell it from his word because the word is living the word is powerful 
The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. See, Paul was confident in scrutiny because of truth and because of also, because of reason. You see, later down in the passage, he says, and later in the next verse, he says, all of this is done, Agrippa knows it happened. You know, he's speaking to Festus, addressing him specifically at the time. But he says, Agrippa knows this happened because it didn't happen in a corner. You know, it really echoes the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. And he said he appeared to over 500 witnesses. It's almost as he's kind of issuing a challenge. He says there's 500 witnesses that saw, go find them. They'll tell you. They'll tell you that it happened. You see, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of Scripture, the message of God, it has, it has, and it always will stand up to scrutiny. You know, I think of one particular instance, Sir William Ramsey. He was one of the most famous archaeologists of all time. Uh, he was so good in his craft, in fact, that he was knighted. He, he set out in his unbelieving years to prove the inaccuracy of the book of Acts, the very book that we've been studying for a number of weeks now. It was his opinion that the book of Acts was, was, was a bunch of fairy tales and story fraught with inaccuracy. So he went out. Um, and to, to seek to prove this out. So 15 years with the archaeology community and min, many of the scientific community, especially those of the unbelieving type, waited with bated breath for his results. 15 years later, after he returned, to shock and horror of many, he not only said that the book of Acts is extremely accurate, he said that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is one of the greatest historians of all times. More so than that, it was the very thing that the Lord used to open up his heart to the truth of the book of Acts, open up his heart to the truth of Scripture, and ultimately open his heart to Jesus Christ. He became a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, it stands up to truth and reason. This is not done in a corner. So we have to and remember, if we are <clears throat> we ones that are looking to make sure that those in our life do not miss life's greatest opportunities, we must first of all be confident, confident in scrutiny. We're not going on our own. The Holy Spirit is leading us. That's the second thing that we see. Let the Spirit lead. Let the Spirit lead. Verse 27, he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. That's a really interesting question to ask at that time and just kind of even stand alone. That's a really interesting question. Well, see, Paul is very savvy in the question that he asks because he knows that this question is going to put Agrippa between a rock and a hard place. Remember, Agrippa is a puppet king of Rome, and more so, he's not just a begrudging puppet king of Rome, but he's one that actually loves that Roman lifestyle. He's one that loves to rub shoulders with the Roman dignitaries and such. And if he says, yes, I believe in the prophets, he loses favor, he loses standing with them because they think he's just kind of you know, another one of these silly guys. But if he says, no, I don't believe the prophets, then he incites a riot or could so with his Jewish brethren. Paul put him between a rock and a hard place. Now for us, as we're sharing our faith with those around us, we don't ask questions purposely trying to put someone between a rock and a hard place, but what we do is we allow the Spirit to lead, especially with, Holy Spirit, give me questions to ask that really make people think. What is it that this friend of mine or this neighbor or this coworker, what sort of questions do I need to ask them to really get them to think? Maybe it's even a question that really, really shows that you care. You know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to talk more in the future, about goals that we have as a church of what we might call breakthroughs. You know, for some of you, you may not be at the place in a relationship yet where you can share 
the ver- you know, verbally share the full gospel of Jesus Christ with someone. But you may be at the place where you say, you know what, I need to turn this relationship that I have with my coworker or my neighbor away from just the innocuous conversation of the day. And I need to, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, say, how, do I, how can I begin to turn this conversation with my friend, my, no, my coworker, my neighbor towards the spiritual? Maybe it's just simply something like this, a question you need to ask them. Can I pray for you? Maybe you're really listening and you're not just kind of listening like the yeah, 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 yeah. You're listening to what they're saying. You're listening to the hurt that, that anyone is going to carry at some point. You say, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Maybe as you just kind of keep moving along, you know, maybe you're just having a general conversation. Maybe you're kind of getting more and more serious over, over the days and weeks and months with them. And you just ask them flat out, you know, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy with life? Maybe then you can ask them at some point, what do you believe about heaven? And are you certain that you're going? Let the Spirit lead. Let the Spirit lead. Be a student of people. Be a student of those that you know. Let the Spirit lead. The other thing we have to remember, thirdly, is that we have to remember that unbelief is oftentimes unbelievable. You know, the Wall Street Journal had a study out a couple of years ago that looked at great inheritances, great American inheritances, big ones. And they said that, in fact, 70% of these inheritances are evaporated by the second generation. 70% evaporates by the second generation. By the third generation, most of them are, 90% of it's gone. 90% of it's gone. So as they said in their own words, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. It's amazing, that missed opportunity. And you think about it, that's just unbelievable. We all think if we were in that position to receive some great inheritance, how we would take care of it. How would take care of it. It makes us wonder if we really would, if, uh, and we never know until we're put in that place. But it is unbelievable when you look at some of those statistics. In the same way, when we look at uh, how some might face the greatest opportunity ever given of forgiveness and hope and joy and life, a, a certainty of eternity, Unbelief sometimes is unbelievable. And we see this here in the words of Agrippa when he says to Paul, you almost persuade me, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. See, it reminds us, as we looked at a couple of points ago, that the message of God, the message of Christ, stands up to truth and reason. It stands up to that. However, as any good apologist will tell you, an apologist is one who trains and understands how to defend the faith. They will tell you that it may be something that opens the door to belief, just as it did for this archaeologist that we spoke about. But ultimately, the only thing that's going to change a person's life is their heart to be changed, coming to that place of surrender and giving up control of their own life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the opposite of that many times is that unbelief is unbelievable. We have to remember that. We have to find encouragement even when we feel like we've been working with someone, we've been praying for someone. We come to that place where we share faith with them and still they come to the place of unbelief. Unbelief is oftentimes unbelievable. Uh, Fourthly, we have to see that empathy is indispensable. Empathy is indispensable. So Paul's response to Agrippa as he says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian Paul's response to Agrippa is this, I would to God, 
that not only you, but also all those who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. He's thinking again about his story, the conversion of his life. He was on the fast track to importance. He was also, even at that time of his conversion, a very young, important man at the time. But he says, as he's accounted in Philippians and the book of Colossians as well, he says, I gave it all up, all up for the greatness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, all of those who are here today, I would... I would pray to God that you would be like me, except for these chains. You can hear in his voice the empathy. You can hear in his voice the empathy. You see, we have to understand that those around us that have been placed in our paths by God, who we are to share the good news with, we must have empathy for them. They can't be like some sort of a notch on your belt of witnessing or some sort of notch on the belt of the witnessing of the church, but you must have empathy for those who are without hope you know as we talked about before sometimes that empathy or sometimes that hopelessness is buried below the surface sometimes it's one of those things that they just don't sense it until they're just kind of alone at night they've turned off the tv they put down social media whatever it may be and it's just kind of have those quiet moments alone and maybe that's when it begins to creep in maybe for some it's buried below the surface pretty well because they've been burying with things and stuff and possessions and praise of mankind for so long that they bury it pretty well but they come to these moments of clarity where they realize gosh it just seems empty i mean how in the world do you explain story after story decade after decade of some of those famous people in the world movie stars rock stars that had all the fame and fortune of this world yet come to the place of suicide, come to the place of drug overdose. Many of these things that are symptoms of a life of hopelessness. We have to have empathy. If you say in a moment of honesty of your, to yourself, you say, you know what, I don't have empathy. I don't have empathy for the lost. I can just kind of walk through life. I can just kind of go through the grocery store. I can just kind of go through my place of work. And it just doesn't grip me. It just doesn't grip me that these people are lost without Christ and hopeless. What do I do? What do I do? Pray. Pray that the Lord would break your heart. Pray that the Lord would give you empathy for the lost. As you're praying over the course of your days and your weeks and your months, as you're praying for empathy for the lost, just take a moment to people watch. Just kind of take a moment, sit down. You know, I know malls are going out of style. Go to a mall. Just sit down on a bench. Maybe go to an outdoor shopping area, sit on a bench. Just kind of sit down and watch. Watch people. Don't let them just pass by as just kind of a, just kind of a, a, a vagary. But think about that person. That person is a mother. That person's a father. That person's a daughter, a son of someone. That person's a friend of someone. And that person is lost, dying and will spend eternity separated from God in hell as opposed to a certainty of a glorious heaven. People watch and pray. You see, we also have to remember, finally, that the outcome belongs to God. You know, after Paul, it says in verse 30, when Paul had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those that sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked amongst amongst themselves saying, This man has done nothing deserving of death or these chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, and if we were just reading this without a a heart that looks unto God and knows the sovereignty of God, we would agree with sadness. And, And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free 
if he would have not appealed to Caesar. Paul knew. Paul knew for quite some time. We see it chronicled in the last several chapters that we've looked at in Acts. He knew his day was coming. He knew as he was marching unto Jerusalem, he knew his day was coming. He knew that his life was coming to an end at some point, but yet he pressed on because he knew it was better to live a life for Christ, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. You see, I love these words that Paul lives out. He echoes with his lives these very words of Jesus that we see in Matthew chapter 16. We know this passage so familiar to us. Verse 24, Jesus says, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now you remember, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, this preceded his cross. So we know the, we know the horror of the cross, but we also see the beauty in, this cro- beauty in the cross, the sight of the cross, because we know that Jesus, his death paid Uh, for the debt that we owe there upon the cross. But to the disciples, they would have only seen it as the death, as the whore, the instrument of torture, if you will, because they only knew it as that, an instrument of execution. And what radical words he issued to them. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You stop living for yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. For he says in verse 25, whoever desires to save his life, if you If you seek to live your entire life trying to make your life as best as you can, you can make it. Try to make your life as good as it can be by temporal means and by the world's standards. He says, at the end of your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake says, I'm going to forsake what the world says is going to make me happy, what is going to bring me fulfillment. I'm going to live for Christ. He says, guess what? You will find it. Not only will you find eternal life, but as Jesus says himself, I come that those might have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 26, for what is it profit? What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? You see, we need that empathy. We need that empathy for the lost and we need to say the outcome is in the hands of the Lord. My life, as Jesus uh, cautioned us to live it and as Paul lived it out, My life must be lived fully and totally for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, finally, I want to leave you with this thought. You know, a financial advisor, they kind of stand in the fork of a road. When you think of their client, they kind of stand in the fork of the road of a particular client, trying to give them, steering them one way or another, this is the decision you need to make with your money at this point. You know, in a way, as believers in Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of the gospel, we're almost like life advisors, if you will. We're like life advisors that are steering people towards hope, peace, forgiveness, and heaven in Jesus Christ. May we do all that we can. May we do all that we can that those that we have influence over, those in our life, make the right decision. Take take hold of the greatest opportunity in their life. And they don't become like Agrippa. They become like Festus, who missed the greatest opportunity they will ever ever face or God as we come now to you we pray that you would give us that empathy that we need I know many times in churches just like ours all over America all over the world we can get so consumed with the own living of our lives that we forget to just kind of take our eyes off of our own circumstances and look around us look around us to see who is desperate and hurting and hopeless 
And yet it can be so easy to kind of pass on by because we can become so good, especially as adults, we can become so good at hiding the, the, the hurt and the pain. We can become so good at not just hiding it to the outside world, but we can become so good at hiding it even to ourselves. And we can stuff it below the surface. God, I pray that for anyone that's here today that finds himself in that very place of life where you've been speaking to them, maybe today is the first time they've heard the gospel. Or maybe you've been speaking to them the good news of Jesus Christ for quite some time. May this be the day they would come to that place of surrender. God, as believers, may we again be ones that have that empathy for people all around us that are in that very position. That they would take and not miss the greatest opportunity they will ever have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We come now to this time of